The following is a rebroadcast of Stratford University's Tech Talk. To hear Tech Talk live, tune in Saturday mornings at 9. You can find us on the radio on 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and 1077 FM HD2. Or you can listen live online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And it was a big week in technology, as always, because of the Capitol riots. The use of face recognition software is through the roof. And also, tracking location on cell phones without a warrant is through the roof. Now, I'm going to give you a tip this week on what app you should delete from your mobile phone to speed it up and save battery life. And there's a workaround. We can still use that app, use that device, use that application, but without the app installed on your phone. Uh, it's, it's a very good tip. And I think everybody's always wanted to know where the word robot came from. Yeah. We're going to go back to the very definition and the, the author who coined that word. Now, Microsoft just issued a patent where they're going to create chatbots on dead people of dead people. It's a little creepy idea. Somebody dies and then they come back as a chatbot. It's a little creepy. I'll talk about it, whether we should do it or whether we shouldn't do it. This week, we're going to feature Jack Ma. He is the chairman of the Alibaba, no, of the, of the, um, uh, yeah, the Alibaba yeah, group. Yeah, right. exactly. Alibaba group. I kept thinking of uh, Alibaba, but this is the Alibaba group. And, uh, he, he's got himself in hot water there in China, but he's an interesting, interesting guy, and his management style, combining East and West, is going to be featured in Observations from the Bunker. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Yes, indeed. We got an email from John in Baltimore. Dear Tech Talk, is there any way that I can share my Wi-Fi password with friends when they visit the home? I've got an iPhone on my, uh, and my wife has an Android phone. Now we've got, you know, because I'm a security guy, we got a very long, 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 complicated password, and it's just a pain in the neck to have everybody type that in. Is there a quick way to do that? Well, John, the good news is there's a very quick way to do it. You can share a Wi-Fi password directly from iPhone to iPhone, or Android phone to Android phone. Very easy to do. In the case of the iPhone, the transfer is done via Bluetooth. So what you have, you have to have both your uh, Bluetooth, both uh, devices have to have Bluetooth on and Wi-Fi on. The device is going to send the password. has got to be logged into the Wi-Fi network you want to send the password for. You have to, both phones have to be logged into iCloud. And the username for iCloud for both people has to be in the contact list. Okay. If those conditions are met, then simply the person that needs the password goes to 
settings, then they go to Wi-Fi, you know, to, to connect to the Wi-Fi network. And then at the moment when it says, what is the password on your phone, the phone that has the password, a little screen will pop up that will say, do you want to share the password? And if you say yes, it's transferred directly to the other person. Their password is filled in and on the Wi-Fi network. It's really quick and it's so convenient. People are amazed that it works. And most usually it just works automatically if, if all those conditions are met. Now, it's a little bit different with an Android phone. They don't transfer the data by Bluetooth. They transfer it with a QR code. That's that little square pattern thing that's used like normally it's used like to, to, to bring up a website or bring up a menu in a restaurant. But the QR code actually embeds in it information. And on the Android phone, they embed the name of the Wi-Fi network and the password in a QR code. So you simply go on your, uh, on, your, uh, on your Android phone. You have to both be, of course, on the same Wi-Fi network. And then you uh, tap on the gear icon, which takes you to setup. And then you go to Networks Advanced Settings, and then, uh, and then you'll then under Advanced Settings you'll see something called QR code. It'll either be QR code or share. It, it, it depending on the uh, on the version of your Android phone. So you click on the QR code or the share code, and immediately your phone will create a QR code that appears on your screen. The person who wants the password simply turns on their camera, looks at that QR code. And boom, the um, the password is passed directly to their phone. It's really convenient. And the and the thing is, they get the password and they don't know what it is, but they're on your network. Good luck. I hope you have success sharing your Wi-Fi with all of your friends. We got an email from Linda in Myrtle Beach. Dear Doc and Jim, I'm planning to buy a new laptop because my old gateway has just bitten the dust. I was hoping to buy another gateway, but then I found out gateway is out of business. So I talked to most of my friends, and some people say, get a Dell. That's the only way to go. And somebody else says, no, get an HP. That's the only way to go. So, um, you know, it's, it's about a 50-50 mix here. So I'm confused. What, what's better, Dell or HP? Uh, Linda in Myrtle Beach. Well, well uh, Linda, when, you, uh, you know, when, you're, when you're comparing Dell and HP, which brand is better, as you have found out, depends on who you ask. Both companies make great laptops, and unless you end up buying a Lemon, uh, you're going to really be happy with either laptop, and both companies give great service. This is similar to the perpetual debate, what is better, a Nikon camera or a Canon camera? They both make great cameras, and it just depends on which features you like. So what I would recommend is you just Look at both HP and Dells. Look at the features that you like. And in particular on Amazon, look at the ratings and get one, get a, a laptop that's got more than a four-star rating and, and has at least 100 very positive reviews. And if you, you know, if, if you get a laptop with good reviews on Amazon, you're going to be good to go. And, um, you know, I hope you... Uh, Hope you have fun with your new laptop. The good news is laptop prices are dropping, so you ought to be able to get a good deal. Also, if you get last year's model, you'll get even a better deal. We got an email from Emma in Philadelphia. Dear Doc and Jim, my friend told me to put a password on my Wi-Fi connection. But, you know, I don't think it's necessary. I'm out in the country. I don't have any neighbors living close to me to piggyback on my Wi-Fi. And I like 
the guests just to come over here and use it without having to hassle with that password. Do you think it's okay if I leave off the password or is my friend right? Emma from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Well, Emma, your friend is right. You do need a, a Wi-Fi password. Without Wi-Fi protection, you're absolutely open to anybody who happens in close proximity to your house, even somebody who just might be driving by. Now, hackers love to target isolated houses with Wi-Fi connections that are open. They pull off to the side of the road and they connect to your Wi-Fi network. Now, the problem is many of those people are doing things that probably isn't legal and they don't want it tied back to them. For example, an unsecured Wi-Fi connections are especially useful to people that want to download child pornography. So if somebody tries you to use your Wi-Fi connection for that garbage, you will be the one contacted, not them, by the police. So I recommend that you get a very good, uh, very secure password on your Wi-Fi connection. Oh, by the way, if you listen to the first part of the show, you're going to notice that you can actually transfer that Wi-Fi connection automatically, cell phone to cell phone, so you, it'll be even less hassle for you. We got an email from Claire in Madison, Wisconsin. Dear Tech Talk, we're building a small college in our backyard for, uh, for our mother-in-law to live in. The question I have is extending the internet service to the cottage. The distance between our house is about 100 feet. Uh, will I need to run a long ethernet cable from the router to the bedroom, uh, or if, from the router in our bedroom, which is on the side of the house facing the cottage, or do I need, or could I use power line network adapters? Well, based on your situation, power line networking kits should work because you're you're connecting both of the uh, both houses are hooked up to the same uh, power panel. So, uh, and since they're all on the same power panel, what you know, this uh, power line Ethernet would work. And that uh, you know, these are just little boxes that plug into the outlet, and that it basically um, sends the signal through the through the uh, through the wire. That should work for you perfectly. But I'll tell you, because your router is on the same side as the cottage. I suspect you may have enough Wi-Fi signal in the cottage itself. I just tested out, and you may be able to just get a um, a, a boost, a uh, you know, a Wi-Fi extender out there. So I'd check the signal. I check the Wi-Fi signal out in the cottage, uh, and you put a Wi-Fi extender that faces the window in the co you know, where the window in the cottage faces the house, and I think you'd be you'd be good to go. But either either way, I think you can easily get internet access out there. We got an email from Lois in Kansas. Dear Doc and Jim, recently a friend of, of ours died and his family had trouble taking control of his Facebook account. I don't want that to happen to me. How can I specify what happens to my Facebook account if something happens to me? Love the show. Lois in Kansas. Lois, that's a great question. Well, actually, you do have to think about this, you know, because digital... digital legacy is becoming more and more important as we move on to... In, as we move into the digital world. So you have two options when you die. You can either have your account, account deleted or you can have it memorialized. Now, if you have it memorialized, what you want to do, you have to leave somebody in charge. So you have to go on to uh, Facebook and, uh, and, and you, and you, and it, so if somebody memorializes it after they memorialize your account, then beside your name, it will have remembering. And then nobody can add anything to it. It's just there. And uh, so if you want to uh, memorialize the account, first of all, uh, you have to set a legacy contact. 
because they're be, they're going to be the ones that actually memorialize it. So you set first of all, you open up settings in your Facebook account, click on security, then click on legacy contact. Now simply appoint a friend to serve as your legacy contact. Now the good news is they won't have access to your to your Facebook account until you're gone. Now when you're gone, they will have to send your name, the date you died, and some proof of your death, like an obitu obituary or a death certificate, to Facebook. And then they will hand over control of that memorialized account to your friend, and they will memorialize it. Now, the other option is to have it deleted. In this case, you simply uh, don't, don't select memorialize, select delete. And uh, to do this, you just do set up security settings, click on legacy contact. This time, you put down request account deletion. After you've passed away, someone will need to notify Facebook that you've died, send proof of your death, and then Facebook will, in fact, delete the account. And you don't you don't have to have a uh, you, you you don't have to have a legacy contact to handle that. But you need to have somebody assigned to contact Facebook. That was a great question, and I think it's a it's a question that is more and more relevant as the days goes on. As the days go on, we got an email from Donna in Kansas. Dear Doc and Jim. I just got a new iPad. Can I connect a full-size keyboard to this iPad when I want to create a document? Well, Donna, I mean, that's a good idea because it's really hard to type a big, long document using the, uh, using the touch keyboard, which is on the iPad. I mean, you can do it, but it's just cumbersome. Now, the good news is your iPad will support a Bluetooth keyboard, a Bluetooth keyboard. And so you simply can connect a Bluetooth keyboard to your iPad, and then you can just prop up your iPad, and you can just type away. Now, there's a good one out there I'd recommend. you got the Artec HB030B Universal Slim Portable Wireless Bluetooth Keyboard with built-in rechargeable battery. I like that rechargeable battery bit, so you don't have to put in new batteries, just recharge it. That's the Artec, I'll skip the numbers, Artec Universal Slim Portable Wireless Bluetooth Keyboard with rechargeable battery. You can search for that on Amazon, it's only 20 bucks, and you can turn your iPad into a very productive device. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we will get back to you as soon as we can. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2, and 107.7 FM HD 2 Southwest of Washington. You can hear us in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. Technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And 
Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Jack Ma. Now, he was born with the name Ma Young, because in the Chinese, Ma Young, in the Chinese, you put the uh, uh, surname first. Ma Young is his official name, but he now goes by Jack Ma, and I'll tell you why in a minute. He's a Chinese business magnet, best known as co-founder and former CEO of the Alibaba Group, a multinational technology conglomerate. Jack Ma was born October 15, 1964, in Hangzhou, China. He began studying English at an early age. He liked to converse with English speakers at the Hangzhou International Airport. For nine years, Ma would ride 17 miles on his bicycle to give tourists tours of the area so he could practice his English as he talked to them in English. He became pen pals with one of those foreigners, and that friend nicknamed him Jack because he found it hard to pronounce his first name. Young. <laughs> Young. <laughs> I'm not going to call it's you really Young. It's really not that hard. It's three letters. It's not that hard, but I guess he could remember Jack. So so that stuck. So, he, so thereafter, he became known as Jack Ma. <laughs> now... Later in his youth, uh, he Ma struggled. I mean, he 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 wasn't good at math. He was very good in English and very good in literature, but his math skills were terrible, and he had trouble getting into school. He failed the entrance exam for Hangzhou Teachers College twice because of low math scores. Finally, on the third attempt, took him three years, by the way, because you could take test every year. On the third year. He managed to pass the test to get into the teacher's college, and uh, he was age 20 at that point. And uh, he, he managed to then enter Hangzhou Teachers Institute. He graduated in 1988 with a Bachelor of Arts in English. Now, while he was at school, he uh, led the student council, and after graduation, he became a lecturer in English in the International Trade School, Hangzhou Danzai University. It was a tech school. He was a lecturer in English and international trade. Now, he didn't make much money. I mean, he was practically, you know, earning minimum wage while he was, while he was lecturing there in English. So he had to, he had to uh, you know, earn extra money. Now, he thought he might want to go to graduate school. He said he applied 10 times to get into Harvard Business School, and they rejected him each and every time. Then 
he wanted to get uh, some uh, a side job while he was a, a, a lecturer in English because he, he could hardly make ends meet. He said he applied for 30 different odd jobs and he was rejected for each and every one of them too. That's he, not good. He, he applied for the police department, rejected. He said the biggest insult, he applied to KFC when they went to China and they were hiring and there were 30 people who applied to this KFC uh, franchise. Uh, 30 people applied, 29 were hired, and only one was not hired, and that was Jack Ma. <laughs> <laughs> that's a blow to your ego. Yeah, that, that's a huge blow. So, but then he, he but, but you know, English was his forte. He loved English. So in 1994, he started his first company, the Hangzhou Haibo Translation Company. And so they would, they would translate, uh, you know, Chinese to different, uh, different languages. Now, this was about the time, see, 94, you know, the, uh, the browser was invented by, uh, by uh, Tim Berners-Lee Tim Berners about uh, uh, 1994. That's about when that came out. So this was just at the beginning of the World Wide Web. And, uh, and he, he, he was just discovering the Internet. In 1995, he went to the U.S. on behalf of the municipal government, and his colleagues there showed him the internet. He said, wow, this thing's pretty good. So he started, uh, when he was in the U.S., started looking around on the internet, kind of searching stuff, and he noticed that there was very little about China when, or any Chinese products on the internet when he would search from the U.S. So that was kind of interesting. So he and his friend decided to, uh, you know, to do something about that. So they started something called China Pages. So they uh, they they created China Pages, and uh, and and he said, well, actually, he said it was his Jack Ma's words were it was an ugly website. They just <laughs> threw it together, but it didn't matter. They put it. They went live at nine o'clock in the morning. By noon of that day, they were all get, already getting streams of emails. Some of these emails were from Chinese investors. I mean, in only three hours, because there was there were no. Chinese websites back then that were that were you know addressing international trade. So I said, you know, this uh, this looked like the real deal. So he started thinking. So he and his uh, he and his friend uh, who was a computer teacher, they actually opened up a little office for China Pages, and uh, the the original China Page domain name was in Chinese characters, and they, they wanted to get a domain name that had alphanumeric, uh, you know, uh, just regular alpha characters. And so they registered the domain name in the United States as ChinaPages.com, and they got that May 10th of 1995. Within three years, the earnings from that website were $800,000 a year. I converted from one to, to dollars here for this show. They were $800,000 a year, which is, which is not bad for a startup. Now, in between 1998 and 1999, he, he took another job, and, and he worked, and he headed the information technology company, which was established by the China International Electronics Commerce Center, and that was part of the Ministry of Foreign Trade and Economic Cooperation. He worked for them for a year, I guess because, well, he started a tech company, so he must, he could help the government get more into technology. He actually could only put up with that government job for a year, and he quit in 1999. And he returned to Hangzhou, 
with his team, and they formed a new company, Alibaba. Alibaba. Now that was a Chinese-based business to business marketplace, and uh, you know, and they they, they just all eighteen of them were in his apartment. I mean, I think he had a very small apartment. They yeah. all crowded in, and they just launched Alibaba from his apartment with he and eighteen friends. They had a whopping seventy-seven thousand dollars U.S. to start the company. At that time, that was uh, that was five hundred thousand wands, but um, uh, but you know, with inflation and all, it was it, it, it would that would have been equivalent to seventy-seven thousand dollars in the day. Now, you might ask, where did the name Alibaba come from? Because it certainly doesn't sound Chinese. Hey, Doc, where did yes. the name Alibaba come from? Well, that is a very good point. It came from the story Alibaba and the 40 Thieves. That is one of the uh, stories within the Arabian Nights, you know, sequel. And so Alibaba was a poor woodsman who was out and about one day with his horse and 40 thieves rode by. He hid in a tree and he watched them come to this secret location. And the head thief said, open sesame. Open sesame. Did he say it kind of like this? Wait a minute. We've jumped ahead here. Let me say that again. Did he say it like this? Yes, that's it, Jim. That's exactly how he said it. Oh, and they, they have the drum. That, so then... And the gong. And the gong, too. And, and did so they have he this? Would did go they have the solid gold dancers? No, apparently they didn't have that. No, they did not. They did not have that. Okay, no, no, sorry. No, no, no. So he would go back then in the story, and he could open up the thieves' cave and take out a few coins whenever he felt like it. So that was where it came from, Alibaba and the 40 Thieves. So... So Jack Ma, being an English major, you know, was well-read, and so he decided to name it Alibaba. Now, in, uh, in October of 1999, remember he started this in 1999, but in October of 1999, he got $25 million in venture capital money from Goldman Sachs and from SoftBank which is quite extraordinary back at that time, you know, the, you know, the Chinese market. And he, and I think he was able to do that because he had that initial website that was successful. So he had a track record. So he was able to, to attract, uh, you know, top tier venture capitalists. Now in 2003, Alibaba launched Taobao, Taobao.com. <laughs> That's a consumer to consumer auction, sort of like eBay. Uh, and where you could you could buy things, or it could be like Amazon in a way. It, now that also included a, a, a way to pay online with AliPay. AliPay was a was a escrow based payment system. So he was uh, he he was working quite well on that. By 2008, Taobao was was basically uh, doing about $15 billion in transactions a year. It exceeded the largest offline retail chain in China. So he's already number one in China. Now, in 2007, the Alibaba Group funded, founded Alisoft, which was a low-cost financial management tool which used software as a service delivery model. It was, just, it was another company where they could... 
They could basically, uh, you know, help companies manage financial management. Now, the rapid rise of Taobao, with the rapid rise of Taobao, eBay said, hey, this, these guys are pretty good. They offered to purchase the company. But Jack Ma, Jack Ma rejected their offer. And his friend, he had befriended Jerry Yang, who was the co-founder of Yahoo. And Jerry Yang instead invested a billion dollars in eBay as just an investor. And uh, shortly thereafter, Alibaba went public November of 2007. It was the second biggest internet IPO in the history. It was only second to Google's IPO. Now, it traded in Hong Kong, so, that, so he was on a roll. By 2014, Alibaba um, basically was growing, and they felt that they had outgrown the, uh, the Hong Kong market. So they issued an IPO in the New York Stock Exchange in September of 2014, and they raised over $25 billion on the New York Stock Exchange in 2014. Now, Mao, uh, Jack Ma served as chairman of the Alibaba Group, which was a holding company with nine subsidiaries that include Alibaba.com, Taobao Marketplace, Tmall, eTao, Alibaba Cloud Computing, AliExpress, Alipay, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so he was able to, you know, run this huge conglomerate. Now, in 2018, Jack Ma started the Jack Ma Foundation, a nonprofit, which was designed to, uh, to allow him to pursue charitable work in the area of education, philanthropy, and the environment. Now, in November of 18, November 18th, the uh, People's Daily identified Ma as a member of the Communist Party of China, something that surprised observers. So this is, this is really what happened. Around September 30th of 2019, Jack Ma stepped down as chairman of the board of Alibaba. Uh, and uh, in November of 2020, Ant's IPO was canceled after an intervention of financial regulators. People believed that the Communist Party made him step down as chairman of the group in uh, September of, uh, you know, in, in September of 2018, because they wanted to help educate him about who his real boss was. And so they had him step down, although he denied it. A month later, he's announced that he's a member of the Communist Party. I think that was probably a, a requirement of theirs. And they thought they would put him under control. Well, it turned out that, uh, but, but Jack Ma was still a major stockholder. I mean, he may not have been chairman of the board, but he was, he was a major stockholder. And he was still outspoken, despite his re-education. Uh, it turned out that back in October of 2020, in October of 2020, he gave a talk, this is not long ago, and he criticized the Chinese government, the Chinese regulators as being anti-business. 
More importantly, he criticized the Chinese banks, and he said they have a pawn shop mentality, and that nobody's going to get anything done as long as these bureaucrats are in charge. Immediately after that talk, the Ant Group's IPO, which was scheduled for November 2020, was canceled, and Jack Ma disappeared, apparently, for more re-education. And people were kind of worried about Let's his hope that's well-being. It. But he reappeared January 20th of 2021. He spoke, he spoke at a, uh, to a group of rural teachers at a charitable, charitable event. So he's, uh, he has reappeared. The Chinese government is trying to t- hold him to toe and get him to, you know, to uh, stick with the party line, which he is reluctantly, <laughs> reluctantly doing, I would say. Now, but he's he's doing okay money-wise. As of January 2021, his net worth is $58 billion. He's the third wealthiest person in China and the 20th wealthiest person in the world, according to Forbes. Forbes, there you go. Everything you want to know about Jack Ma, the former chairman of the Alibaba Group. Hope you're paying attention because your chance to win free food coming up here in just a minute on Tech Talk Radio. Heard on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, southwest of D.C. Hear us now at 1077 FM HD2 and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. Learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Ah, yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. You can sit down now. They are. Maybe you're already sitting down. They are. It's a little tough to tell on the closed circuit monitor. 
It certainly is. And so welcome back to Classroom of the Airways. This is not merely a radio show. And we want to assess whether our class has been listening with, by giving, giving you a pop quiz. If you get the correct answer to the pop quiz, you'll get an A-plus for today's show. Plus, you'll win two tickets to fine dining at one of Stratford's dining rooms when they open after the pandemic. Now, earlier in the show, I talked about Jack Ma. He, of course, is the uh, Chinese business magnate who's best known as co-founder and former CEO of the Alibaba Group. Now, Alibaba was named after someone who was in the Arabian Nights. What What the question is, what is the famous quote, the most famous quote that we know of from Alibaba? If you know the answer to today's question, pick up your device, give us a call. Dialing from west of the Rockies is 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Clydesdale Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're trying to ride your bike across the frozen tundra of Canada, call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the international line. It's sanitized with whatever we can find. 877-936-39333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. All right, now I'd like to give you the tip of the week. How to speed up your mobile phone. There's probably an app on, on your phone which is slowing your phone down. It is eating up battery life. It is sending out all kinds of data and sharing all kinds of data about you and what you're up to. And it's an app that you really don't need because you can find a way without using the app and not use any capability. That app, of course, is Facebook. Facebook is a resource hog. It eats a lot of battery capacity, and it also slows down the phone because it's sending data back and forth all the time. If you uninstall your Facebook app, you will have no, you will reclaim phone capacity. But they, but you say, but what? I love Facebook. I like to go on Facebook. Here's the secret. Open up your web browser. Go to facebook.com in your browser. It could be Safari. It could be Chrome. Log into your account and the entire, uh, capa- the entire capability of your Facebook is then delivered via the browser. So you can simply have make Facebook.com one of the favorites in your browser. And then when you want to go to Facebook and look at all those funny cat pictures and movies, whatever you look at on Facebook, <laughs> you simply can open up your browser, click on Facebook.com. Um, you know, it's one of your favorite sites. And boom, you've got Facebook. The good news is when you're not using Facebook, it's not taking all your critical resources. I've done that. And I got no trouble if somebody tells me they got something on Facebook, I can get to Facebook in a snap. I use Safari on my on my iPhone. So there you go. Tip of the week. Okay. Let's look at the origin of robot. I mean, it's 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 almost like well, maybe we've it, it feels like we've had that word around forever, but we actually, have. ever since it wasn't robots came until along around nineteen twenty. Robot. It's a relatively newcomer to the English language. It's the now it's the brainchild of a Czechoslovakian playwright, novelist, and journalist. He was named Karol Kapek. Karol Kapek. 
He introduced it in a play in 1920, and the name of the play was Rossum's Universal Robots. Now, robot is drawn from the old Slavonic word robata, robata, which means servitude, forced labor, or drudgery. Now, robots perform all the work that humans prefer not to do, and soon the company was inundated with orders for, uh, you know, for more, uh, you know, more versions of his play. Now, early drafts of his play, in the early drafts of his play, Capic named these creatures, he didn't call them robots, he called them labori, 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 L-A-B-O-R-I. That's after the Latin root word for labor. But he worried that using a Latin word like labori would, uh, would sound too bookish. So his brother, Joseph, suggested that he use, that he use the word based on uh, rob, robata. Robata. He said, that sounds much better. And so he opted for robati, or in English, robots. So there you go. Robots started in 1920, that word. Doc, we do not have a winner for the question yet. Why don't you uh, uh, go ahead and ask it once again? Okay, earlier in the show, I talked about uh, Jack Ma. He, of course, created Alibaba. Alibaba was named, uh, came from the play Alibaba and the 40 Thieves. Alibaba has a very famous quote that he used to get into the thieves' quarters. And what might that quote be? All right. If you need, if you know the answer, give us a call, 877-936-9333. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Oh, wait. We have to do something special here. Let me call it up. Observations from the bunker.
I almost forgot Whoa. to let you out of the bunker there, Doc. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, Jim, the entire week, I've been opening the bunker door by uh. saying, open Sesame. <laughs> Without even touching it. And it works it. perfectly. Without I'm telling you, Without even touching it. That's amazing. Truly it amazing. Just, uh, absolutely works amazingly. Well, th it, today I was sort of reflecting down in the bunker about Jack Ma. I mean, he's an interesting guy. Mm -hmm. He's a former English teacher. I mean, he has struggled getting started, but he ended up building one of the most valuable companies in the world. I mean, he's known as Crazy Ma, by the way. That's his nickname over there, Crazy Ma, because of his unorthodox management philosophy. What Jack Ma did, he combined the best of Western and Eastern technologies to create his operational practices and his management styles that he uses in Alibaba. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you the four key elements of his, of his operational philosophy. Number one, be like Forrest Gump. Now, you'd never <laughs> think that's coming from a guy in China, would you? No, you wouldn't. No. Jack Ma loves the naive innocence which the character Forrest Gump uses to approach life. This is Ma's favorite movie. He has watched Forrest Gump over and over and over again. I mean, Ma, ne Ma never let himself down when he made $15 a month as a teacher and, and he was trying to supplement his income with a job on the street, yet he couldn't, he couldn't get hired by K KFC. He couldn't be hired by a hotel. The police turned him down, but he kept on believing in himself despite all of those setbacks. Just like Forrest Gump, Ma has always seen the world and its possibilities through the eyes of a child. He believed that technology could be magic and that life truly is a box of chocolates. And you never know what you're gonna get inside. Number two, innovate on the shoulders of giants. Now Ma understood that you can innovate but that's different than invention. You don't have to be an inventor. You can take something that someone else has invented and you can perfect it. You can innovate. Like Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs did not invent the digi digital music player. He simply made a better one. Bill Gates did not invent computer operating systems. He just made a better one. Ma built his most successful properties on the foundations that came before him. For example, eBay had long been established as a very successful consumer-to-consumer -consumer commerce site. What Ma did, he adopted eBay to the Chinese market that took into account Chinese culture, Chinese history, Chinese philosophy, and he built on what eBay had perfected. The third philosophy that he had was soar with eagles. He surrounds himself with the smartest and most capable people that he can find. He's not opposed to hiring people from other countries, from other companies, if they are good. And he just lets them loose and doesn't micromanage them. He also befriends leaders. Like, for instance, he befriended Jerry Yang, co-founder of Yahoo. Jerry ended up investing in there and helped guide him as he was building Alibaba. He also befriended Masa Yoshi-san, chairman of the Chinese uh, or the Japanese telecom giant SoftBank.
And uh, so he would work with these industry leaders and learn from them because he felt that that was the way to perfect his company. And both of these individuals who he who mentored him were early investors in Alibaba. Finally, his fourth principle is take your business seriously, but don't take yourself too seriously. Now, he worked hard at Alibaba to build a unique culture. He built a culture of participation, inclusion, and fun. He has all kinds of high-energy antics. He's outspoken. I mean, he wanted his company to, to have those traits. I mean, Jack Ma is known for singing karaoke with the employees. He's, uh, he's known for holding company retreats for 15,000 people that focus primarily on fun and not work. He'll dress in outlandish outfits when addressing management. He's created an atmosphere where Alibaba employees treat him like a combination of father figure, inspirational guru, and band leader. He's, uh, he's that kind of guy. So if you can be like Forrest Gump, innovate on the shoulders of giants, soar with eagles, and take your business seriously but not yourself, you may be able to combine Eastern and Western philosophies to make a very successful company. Very good. All right, Doc, we have somebody who'd like to play the game. Let's go to line one. This is Dee, who is calling us from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. Good morning, Dee. How are you? All right, and you? Dee, how are you? Are you in Philly listening to us right now? Yes, yes. Actually, I'm few blocks outside of Philadelphia, but it's easy to say Philadelphia. I'm Philadelphia. Yeah, West Philadelphia. That's great. How did you find us? I've been listening to you for a long time. I, I'm in the area. I be down D.C. a lot, so I'll listen to you. You got a lot of good information that is helpful. Great. I'd like hey. to say uh, peace and blessings to all the fellow men and women that serve our country and our nation. Very good. D, thanks a lot. Uh, uh, Dr. Schertz, let's get down to business. Yeah, Go ahead and ask I, you the question. Ditto's to that. Yep. Uh, mm -hmm. We got uh, earlier in the show, I talked about Jack Ma. He, of course, is the co founder and CEO, of, former CEO of the Alibaba Group. Alibaba was in Alibaba and the 40 Thieves. What is the famous quote that Alibaba is known for saying? Open sesame. There you go. Correct. Good job, D. Very good job. All right. Hang on a second here. We're going to send you back to Andrew. Thank you so much for uh, finding us and listening to us in Philadelphia and hope you, you stick around with us for a long time. Doc, I think based on the time, let's just continue on with the show here. Okay? All right. Let's look at a Microsoft patent. This is a little creepy. I don't know if it's good or bad, so I just thought I'd throw it out there. We could talk about it. Microsoft is patenting a technology that will create a chatty 3D version of somebody who is deceased. Uh, they could take pictures of them and they would look like the person. Because of AI, you could feed in things they've written, you could feed in their text messages, you could feed in a lot of stuff that they have generated, and you would be able to actually converse with this bot, and it would be as though the person is alive, and presumably, the things that they would say would, would be reminiscent of what they would actually say because it would be based on this AI analysis of their actual writings. This sounds now really creepy. Isn't that, isn't that creepy? Yeah, I don't think I'd want that. Yeah, it, you can create a conversational chat bot uh, of a specific person. It could access images, voice data, social media posts, electronic messages, and it could create essentially 
recreate the person's personality. Uh, you may be able to get a 3D model based on, uh, you know, based on images. So Microsoft filed the patent in 2017, and it was granted last month. Uh, I mean, there was a, an example where uh, the uh, where Kudja, the co-founder and CEO of a software company, Replica, trained a chatbot on thousands of text messages that she had shared with a dear friend, Roman, who died in a car accident. And once she created this 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 AI analyzed repository of chat data, she could actually send a text message to Roman and he would act, talk back to her. And uh, I mean, she, she liked that. But I'm wondering if this is a, a good idea or a bad idea. Well, it also brings to mind what are the rights that, that somebody has? I mean, if somebody recreates somebody who's from the dead, you don't know what they're going to say, and it looks like they're saying it. And and I don't even know that law is you know is set up to cover these particular yeah. situations. What do you think of this, Jim? Well, I don't know. I think that I think that uh, if it makes her feel better, it's uh it, it, it's it's okay. I mean, it, I, maybe there should be some sort of consent given. <laughs> I don't know how you do this before you die. Please don't make a chatbot out of me. I well, don't know. I mean, I, 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 think I, I would think there should be some kind of consent. There, there are instances where, and I was reading it where there, where this is a comfort to some family members. They, they just feel close, closer to the person. But I'll tell you, it's, it's a very a creepy line. Uh, it, it whether is. you go over it, it and, is. I, I, in, in the aspect, in the realm of making people feel better in the, the loss, I, I'm okay with it that way, but. It could it could go terribly terribly wrong. So uh, it seems like there may be some legislation required that could limit the use of images of people. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and and the right. Oh, okay. Well, well. Let's suppose somebody would say take uh, Shakespeare. He he's written a lot. So they analyze all of Shakespeare's plays and they go back and they get um, they get and they with AI and they you know and they can, they can reproduce the the voice the old English voice as it was back then, and they create a bot that looks like Shakespeare uh, as a kind of an education on how you could communicate with somebody from that time. See, that's so far removed that, right. that I, I don't think anybody would object to that. But the recently deceased. The recently yeah. deceased would be, uh, so may, maybe there could be a time frame that, yeah. you know, uh, maybe the nearest relative. I, I don't know. I, it's, it's, there's an ethical problem here. And Microsoft has got it patented, but there's no ethical review on it. So yeah. I just I thought it was just worth uh, worth mentioning. Yeah, it is. It's 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 an interesting again another ethical problem raised by technology. Now there is, uh, you know, I I got a few minutes here. We had the big riot on the Capitol last week. I don't want to get, really get into all the politics of it, but uh, but the the police have sprung into action because. Uh, uh, these folks were on social media that was it was covered. There were videos that were released. The the news had videos of people going in. And once that riot hit, there was a burst of of face recognition software usage by the police, in particular, a company called Clearview AI that matches photos of unidentified people with publicly posted images. So, so they've got an AI thing. So you show a picture of somebody at a demonstration and they 
will look through all the photos that are posted in social media, and if they locate a match, they'll identify the person. And um, and at uh, and there's been a huge backlash against this. People say it's an invasion of privacy. The, the 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 privacy groups object to it, but there's no law, and so the police are using it unconstrained. Uh, the the governor of Massachusetts, Charlie Baker. Uh, People went to him and they said, we want you to bar this thing in the state of Massachusetts. He said, no, let's just let it go because he he wanted to see how it would go. So far, more than 70 people have been charged for their participation in the Capitol assault. And uh, and already they've collected 100,000 images of the insurrection and where five people were killed. So I think I think this is going to be something that's going to continue. But I think we've got to watch it because this is getting woefully close to Big Brother. Yeah, it Where they really can is. track you anywhere you go. Mm-hmm. And you see, because there are, your face could be on, uh, you could be walking around. Cities have webcams around. There, there, there are even webcams that look at you in your car at these, uh, you know, when they, when they have these speed traps yep. or these, these red light cams. They actually take a picture of the driver. So there's a lot of facial data. And if they start knitting all that together, they could actually trace you yep. everywhere. Yep. And so people are worried about it. There's also issues that it is uh, not as accurate for people of color. And there are a lot of false IDs on people of color. And so it's it's got issues there too. So uh, I think that's something that we want to look at. Now, the other thing that's been going on, the other way they can track you is with cell phone data. And what they can do is they can actually they can actually use a service, Location X, and they can buy cell phone data and they can track your cell phone ID number as it goes everywhere. And they can and, and they can tell who it is because eventually you go home and they can tell who lives at that home. So even though the cell phone data technically is anonymous, by just simply watching where it goes, they can they can eventually identify it. So the Secret Service paid thirty six thousand dollars to to um, to Location X, and also they paid two million dollars to Babel Street yep. for social media surveillance, and they're handling this. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.